This is Helps Ministry Part 2, Lesson 2. We have two Ministry of Helps schools or curriculum. This is the second one, and this is our second lesson in the second teaching. We call this one Loving Your Labor. And the Lord really exposed this to me uh, a season ago when we have gotten our church up to a place where I can confidently say we are a bunch of mules around here working for Jesus. We are a hard-working church, and a lot of folks testify to that. And that's great. We have that because we teach it all the time. But I began to observe, and the Lord began to deal with me as the pastor here. We work hard, but do we have a heart for the hard work? We can work hard because we know we have to. We can work hard because we don't want to get in trouble. We can work hard because we know we need to, but the needful ingredient has to then be love. And the Bible makes a big distinction concerning labors of love and then just good works or dead works. So this whole lesson is about what it means to really love your labor. And the the best example of that is in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis where Jacob loved uh, Rachel so much He worked hard as a slave for seven years for her hand in marriage, and the Bible says it was but a day. When you truly love what you're doing, it's not even work. Before service, I was up in my office, and the subject of one of my former careers at the zinc mine came up, and in discussing the zinc mine, I was showing uh, Steve what all I was doing. It just was in conversation. I said, I, I giggled, and I said, it wasn't even work. I was there 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and it wasn't even work. It was, it was playtime for me because I loved what I did so much. And so if we can get that kind of heart in the kingdom or even that kind of heart on our job, our life gets a lot easier. Really, our life is as hard as we make it. And our life is as hard as the attitude we take. If you have an easy attitude, you have an easy life. If you're always looking to be offended, you're always going to have a rough life. So let's look at this message on the labor of love or loving your labor. Back in college, at the height of my reckless zeal, the Lord spoke to me and said, you don't serve me. This is what he spoke to me. I was probably 21 or 22. He said, you don't serve me out of love. You serve me out of duty and obligation. And I remember sitting there going, huh, that's right. That's right. I am a duty-bound Christian. And then I realized he was not complimenting me. (laughs) He, He was not complimenting me. I was just driven. And part of it was I knew I needed to serve God, but at the same time in me as a, my disposition is I can't handle mediocrity. So whatever I do, I'm going to go big or go home. And I, I just transferred that over to my Christian walk. So I was driven and out, out laboring them all, but because it's just what I do with whatever I do. You know, if I was going to sin, I was going to sin big. But now that I'm going to serve Jesus, I'm going to serve Jesus big, but there was no love there. So I realized he was not complimenting me. And that really began to do a work in my life. We must be cautious to allow our love for Jesus Christ to be our greatest motivator. When you love Jesus Christ, as Psalm 119, 165 says, nothing shall offend you. Great peace have they which love thy word, and nothing shall offend you. When you're in love with Jesus, nothing else moves you. You you can absorb everything. You know, when you're in love with a woman, and you're just googly-eyed, daydreaming over her, your boss can't offend you. You're just drunk in love with her. The cop can pull you over. You won't complain. Yes, sir, I was speed. I was on my way to see my honey. And when you're in love with Jesus, nothing offends you. Nothing ruffles your feathers because you're just too busy looking at Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 in the NIV. We remember before our God and Father, I've under, this is a very critical verse. There's, there's so much in this verse to study, but I've underlined the major themes here. 
We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. So faith produces a work. No work, no faith. If you got some faith, you'll have some work. We remember your love, excuse me, your labor prompted by love. So love prompts a labor. Now work and labor are two different things. And we remember your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice when you have hope, you can put up with some stuff. When you've got this hope, now not, not cheap American hope, that what they call it, an uncertain good. Uh, the best definition for American hope is an uncertain good. That is not biblical hope. Uncertain good is I hope I win the lotto. That's uncertain good. I hope we win the championship. I hope we make it to playoffs. I hope I get called. I hope I get this for Christmas. That's an uncertain good. That is not biblical hope. That, is, that kind of hope, though, is what's peddled in your mega churches, most of them, and it's what's so popular right now. But the hope we have in Christ is not an uncertain good because if Christ is an uncertain good, we are serving the wrong God. So this is a hope that means a, a needed expectation, a certain expectation. We're talking, actually, in the Hebrew, the word hope is faith. The Hebrews, when they said hope, it means we believe and we know it will come to pass. And that's a whole other set of lessons altogether. Expectation is probably the best way to interpret hope in the New Testament as you read through there and you study your Bible. So when you have this expectation, you will endure when you expect Jesus Christ to come back for you, you'll put up with hell. You'll put up with persecution. You'll put up with offense. You, when you expect God to come through on his word, if it's an uncertain good, maybe you will endure, maybe you won't. All right, a lot there, but we got to go on for time's sake. This trio of faith, hope, and love is found here in 1 Thessalonians. And we know that that's what Corinthians 13 talks about. Now by it is faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. There's this powerful trio we see in the church called faith, hope, and love. And the three of these produce a work in our life. Hope produces an endurance. Faith produces a work. And love produces a labor. They, these things are prompting, producing, and inspiring us to work, to labor, and to endure. So let's look at these things. We're going to break it down because we are just kind of exegetically studying this. Because the key is, until we get love, the love of God working in our life for what we do, the work gets done, but there's not rewards. Think about that. We all have so much we've done for the kingdom, but how much of it will be in heaven for us? The work got done. It built the kingdom. It blessed people. Somebody got born again. Somebody got discipled. Somebody had a burden to leave. Uh, relieve, but if we're not walking in the love of God, there really is this insinuation from the scriptures. There may not be a reward in heaven for us, so it was all in vain and on our behalf. Now, somebody, again, he was blessed by it, but there's nothing in it for us, and we want to make sure that we are loving the labor that we do. You have to do the labor, but make sure you develop the heart for it. It's kind of like when you're married. If you want to, you can let your heart get sour and come home to a marriage, well, technically I'm married, but in your heart you're really not. I did the work, but technically in your heart you didn't. So therefore the marriage is miserable, and therefore the labor is unfruitful or rewardless. All right, let's look at this. Number one, work is produced by faith. When you and I have a faith in Jesus Christ, when we have a faith in the scriptures, it can't help but to produce a work or a putting forth of energy. The Greek word is ergon, where we do get the word energio or energy. 
when you've got faith, you can't help but act on it. James says, faith without works is dead. Same concept, same spiritual law. So as, as Christians, we can look at our own lives. How much work am I doing for the kingdom? A little bit of work, a little bit of faith. We're not saying how much do I know about the kingdom. We're not saying how much scripture can I quote mentally. What we want to know is how much are we doing with it? Faith produces a work. And that's why it troubles me, especially in these last days, to see so many Christians just sitting, not helping the local church, not helping the evangelist, not helping in door-to-door evangelism, not helping the missionary, just sitting. Really, church has become nothing but another form of entertainment. We have comfortable chairs, we have a little show, we have a little book we read. That's how a lot of Christians, unfortunately, view this thing. They have a knowledge, but not a true faith, because when you have faith, you can't help but do something with it. It's an energy. It's like the difference is, I know scorpions are poisonous. I know scorpions are poisonous. Well, there's a bunch of them in your kitchen. I know scorpions are poisonous. If you have a faith that scorpions are poisonous, you will do something about it. You can measure your faith by how much you're doing, not to be saved, we're already saved, how much you're doing with what you know. So then a lack of faith will produce a lack of works. Not dead works, but good works that propel the kingdom. Labor is prompted by love. This word labor here is kopos, different from works or ergon. And this is different because work just means you're exerting energy. But kopos means a beating. Intense labor united with trouble and toil. The root meaning of kopos means to cut, to strike, to smite, and to wail with grief. And so then what kopos is or labor is, this is work that is costing you something and is very painful. The only way you'll, under, you'll undertake this kind of labor is if you are truly working in the love of God. What keeps a missionary on the third world mission field in all that kopos is love. What keeps a lot of pastors pastoring, because sometimes it is very kopos, is love. What keeps uh, people in marriages is love. What keeps folks from not giving up on their kids when their kids are being prodigals is kopos. It's a labor of love. When you lose that love, you will easily walk away. Now, what is so critical that we hear this morning is Matthew 24 prophesies that the love of many shall wax cold. When your love dries up, your labor will dry up. When your labor dries up, up, there's nothing keeping you serving in the kingdom. So, You and I, we have to be careful to maintain our labor of love and the love that is the, in a sense, the energy source behind the labors we endure. Fortunately for us, in this church, in this local body, we have a good understanding of how the heart works. And we know that we're not led by our heart because the heart is desperately wicked. That you must establish your heart in grace. And as the Bible teaches us, your heart is your stewardship. So you have to command your heart. Shut up, heart. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew that out of the heart proceedeth murders, envyings, fornications, adulteries. All manner of evil comes out of the heart. But what you eat doesn't defile you what comes out of your heart. So if you start to dry up in your love, you can just say, shut up. And you can begin to pray for that thing. Get your heart right, man. Get your heart right towards this labor. Get your heart right towards the local church. Get your heart right towards this or that. Get your heart right. If not, what happens is we just fall apart and we'll start going through the motions. And you and I can only go through the motions for so long and then our heart really hardens, we sour, and we totally abandon post. 
A lack of love will produce a lack of labor. Labor is the hard stuff that only the hardcore Christians want to undertake. It's, everybody will do a little bit of good works because it makes you look good. You've got to pad your dossier. You've got to pad your resume. But the labor, that's the brutal stuff. That's up early, up late. That's praying when you'd rather watch a movie. And really, is that that hard? Is that that brutal? Is that really a beating, a smiting, and a cutting? That's loving somebody when they mock you and spit at you. That's evangelizing in a dangerous part of town. That's giving up your career to go live in the third world. For some people, a baby labor might be actually uh, submitting to a local church. Because that's hard. You know, baby steps are hard for babies. Amen. And even when you get older, God's always requiring harder, bigger steps. You guys know I've studied the Navy SEALs a lot. What always just shocks my mind is to realize many times their backpacks are 70 and 80 pounds. And the work and the mountains they can climb with 70 and 80 pounds is unbelievable. They hiked terrain there in Afghanistan uh, that you and I wouldn't be able to hike without a backpack. And they'll do it for five hours just to get to a, a zone, 80 pounds, just to assassinate a bunch of Talibanis. And they do it like it's nothing, but they didn't start off with an 80-pound pack humping it over a mountain. They started off as a baby learning to walk. What we do often is we think where we're at is good enough in our Christian walk. But the true Christian says, Lord, throw another brick in the pack. Lord, throw it, whose burden can I bear today? Everybody's quiet and looking down. I don't know. This has been my theme for eight years because I hate mediocrity. <laughs> Number three, endurance inspired by hope. The word endurance is hupomone, and uh, this is constancy, perseverance, steadfastness, constancy, steadfast, perseverance. In the New Testament, the characteristic of a man or woman who has not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Hupomone. You, you, you just keep doing what you know to do, and it doesn't matter what the weather is. It doesn't matter who falls with you. It doesn't matter who loves you, who likes you. You just keep doing it because you, you're committed to Jesus Christ. Hope will produce this in you. If you and I quit, it's because we lost hope. So we got to go back and find hope. Not best Friday ever flavor hope, but hope that is an expectation, an eager expectation that God is who he said he is, and he will do what he said he will do, and he will come back for us one day. And he's not unfaithful to forget our labor of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love or charity. So out of these three and everything we've just said, and you could study and teach those for weeks and months, the greatest of these is love. Therefore, what we need to look at is the fruit of the greatest of these. And the fruit is this labor, this thing that... Normal people would no way ever tackle. They wouldn't want to sacrifice their weekend. They wouldn't want to sacrifice their extra income. They wouldn't want to sacrifice a Saturday to go door-to-door -door evangelizing. They certainly are not going to drive 20 minutes to go to church three times a week. I mean, 20 minutes, I got better things to do with 20 minutes than go sit with God. We need to look at the greatest of these, which is love and what it produces and prompts, and that is this labor According to 1 Thessalonians, the God kind of love working in us will prompt us to labor for Jesus Christ. 
When you love somebody, you can't help but work for them. When you love your wife, you want to do things for her. When you love your husband, you want to do things for them. When you love your kids, you'll work your finger to the bone so they can have better. When you love your boss, you'll give them a better uh, employment term. When you love your car, you will work to take care of it. When you love your home, you'll work to take care of it. What we find in our region is, is I don't even want to call it a self-love because our region works, generally speaking, our region works to take care of nothing. Generally speaking, that's the overall average temperature of our region. At least love yourself. Take care of your body and your teeth and your eyes and your fingernails and your beard, your hair. Nothing against beard or hair or teeth, but, you know, at least take care of your vehicle. At least take care of your home. At least take care of your yard. Amen. At least take care of your kids. Absolutely. But then you got to grow beyond that and, and take care of the kingdom. Take care of the Lord Jesus. Why do we have DCS? Because people don't even love their kids. Amen. I, I just, it, why do we have unemployment? Because people won't take care of their job. Amen. So that's all baby elementary stuff. Now we're, but see, we want to move beyond that and go to taking care of the kingdom. You and I got born again because somebody cared for the kingdom, and now we're a debtor to keep building this kingdom. How can you claim to love Jesus Christ and not want to serve him? How, that's just a question to judge us. How can you claim you love him and not have this overwhelming desire to serve tirelessly? I love my girls. I'll do anything for them. I wake up, if someone, one of them's crying, we wake up and run to see what's going on. If they're making a mess, we run to clean it up, yeah. especially if it's, in a, you know, if it's in a dangerous kind of mess. They're throwing up or they're hurting themselves. I love my wife. I, there's nothing inconvenient about serving my wife because I love her. But when you don't love something, it is always going to be an inconvenience to you. When you don't love prayer, prayer is inconvenient. When you don't love the word, the word is inconvenient. When you don't love church, church is inconvenient. When you don't love God, God is inconvenient. Amen. All right. The criticality of loving your labor. We labor like mules for Jesus, especially in this church. And I'm very proud of that. You guys are an awesome, hardworking church. We don't follow the typical church rule where 10% of the people do 90% of the work. We, we have it probably way reversed in the other directions. Probably 90, 95% of the people in this church do 95% of the work, which is a wonderful testimony. We labor like mules around here, but do we love it? Do we, here's the expression, chomping at the bit. Do we literally chomp at the bit for the next assignment the Lord has for us or the next assignment the department head may have for us? Uh, for me personally, the hardest season in my entire life is when I went to Bible school and I stepped down from being an elder in my church, a deacon in my church, my pastor's one of two right-hand men and the youth leader. And I went and was unemployed for three weeks because they weren't hiring yet. And I sat and did nothing and had no church to be a part of. I felt like the most backslidden, useless, unsaved, invaluable pinky toe on a six-toed body of Christ. Because I was doing nothing for the kingdom. And it was driving me up a wall. I, I, I thought, have I totally missed God? Because I had gotten into such a routine of laboring for God, my life was defined as it should be by serving in the kingdom. And when you take a tool 
and you put it in the toolbox for three weeks, it feels useless. And actually, I had met Gertie in that season, and I had started going to the Assemblies of God Church, and I just felt absolutely backslidden because I was doing nothing for anybody, and I wasn't used to that. And Gertie brought to me a scripture in the back parking lot of the church. He said, I was praying for you, and I felt like, I felt like this verse was for you. And it was James 4. It says, uh, be patient, therefore, brethren. Establish yourself. And it was everything. I Just sit still. You're in the will of God. Now, on the other hand, some Christians, they so love doing nothing. They're offended if you ask them to help with the kingdom. All right, um, I got five minutes. Will it take five minutes? Because I got to go home and do nothing there too. And you're cutting into my do nothing time, preacher. Look, I I wrestle cats. I got to go home and play with cats for six more hours today. You know, whatever people's excuses is in modern America. Yeah, I, what have you. Are we honored to serve or are we put out? Does the burden of service excite us or does it produce heart murmurs? Does the burden of labor excite us? Are they going, la, 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 la. I guess I need to. I mean, after all, God died for me on the old rugged cross. And I was hoping I could avoid serving him in this lifetime before I died and went to heaven. It doesn't look like I'm going to be able to avoid this wretched thing. At least I'm not going to hell. I guess I ought to be thankful for that. That's the attitude of so many Christians. Hopefully not in my church. Psalm 32.9. Don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. That's a powerful verse. The NIV brings it out. Don't be like them. Now, if you train a mule, which is very difficult to do, or you train a horse, you know, we always saw, you know, Lone Ranger, he had the best doggone horse in the West. He'd just go, and that horse would come running from like seven tribes over. Bring his gun, cock it, load it, cook his dinner, and then drag the blanket over the Lone Ranger when he's ready. That's a good horse. I don't even think he had a bridle. He just, he was just like on autopilot the whole time. He knew what to do. But the rest of us are not that way. We, we need some more training. Hi-ho, silver. Mules labor reluctantly. They are capable of so much as a beast of burden, but they are also notoriously stubborn and belligerent. Anybody ever been around mules know that? Yeah. Obedience is good, but the good of the land requires obedience and willingness. And we can get to a place where we obey, but are we willing? And not just willing when we're asked, but the next level beyond that is we're not waiting to be asked. We're going and asking. I finished everything, Lord. What else would you have me to do? Lord, you've not asked me. You've not given me an assignment in a month. You've not given me an assignment in two days. I feel backslid. Am I wrong with you? Why won't you give me something else to do, Lord? Lord, you know that our relationship means I work with you because you said we're co-laborers. Or maybe, maybe we're of the American mindset where we're the co-entitlers. The Lord does it all and gives me the welfare. No, we're co-laborers. That means he works and we work with him. And we work and he works with us. Love is not stubborn against God. Look at Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work, ergon, which is produced by faith, and labor, kopos, which is produced by love. Your labor of love, 
which you have showed towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Notice you have ministered and you still are. Shouldn't be a Christian in the kingdom that can say, I used to be more on fire, used to be. The Bible tells us our life ought to be like the the sun rising to the perfect day. We get brighter and brighter and brighter. And one day we're just caught up into glory. Our assignment is always changing depending on where we are in the kingdom, but we're never permitted by God to lay down a labor. Even Dorcas in the book of Acts, I mean, even she has a good name. She apparently was an older woman, and the whole reason they asked for her to be raised from the dead is because she had an awesome quilt ministry. They sought Peter to raise her from the dead because she worked so hard providing quilts for all the other women in need. What if she hadn't made quilts? She'd get to stay dead. She wasn't out risking her life like Paul. She wasn't blind and in prison like John the Revelator. She was just at home laboring something she loved. They said, when they came, they said, look at all the coats and all the quilts she's made for us. That that was her testimony. This is why we wanted you to come and raise her from the dead because we need her quilts. It's winter time's coming. (laughs) But if you don't do anything... You may not be missed. Amen. Amen. (laughs) All right. God does not forget labors of love. But what about labors that are not loved? How about that labor you bellyache and complain about? I kind of think the Lord forgets about that. We always take Mr. Eddie and and the time we cleaned up the one brother's house. who He was was crippled. He had cerebral palsy. So he was not able to care for himself. And Eddie was in the bathroom cleaning. And, and this man, there's something weird about having a lot of cats. There's a, there's a spirit behind it. And I, you, I, I don't, don't apologize for making that statement. This guy had a lot of cats. And he had a lot of cat fur. And there was kitty litter and cat food all over the bathroom floor and in the shower. And there was also, I don't know, a quarter inch of water everywhere. And we're all cleaning the rest of the house really should have just been incinerated. Should have come in with their flamethrowers and just burned it all up and started from scratch. But Eddie was back there and I've never seen Mr. Eddie so frustrated. Maybe Mr. Renee has, but I haven't. <laughs> I, he would come out of that bathroom just kicking stuff and, and he came out of the bathroom with the crisper bin for the refrigerator. I said, because we, we were cleaning out the refrigerator. I said, where's the crisper bin? What kind of guy loses his crisper bin? You know, where you put the lettuce and the celery? Like, where's that at? Eddie says, I've got it. It's being used as a kitty litter container in the bathroom. So Eddie was so hot. You know, he wasn't even talking to us, but we could all, we were joking about it because we could tell he was not happy about this labor. And we tease him and say, Eddie, you're losing rewards, man. You're burning what you have in heaven. It's gone. Because, and we still joke about it. I don't think that was really the case. But his attitude, and we were all hot. I don't think we have any rewards in heaven for that day at all. This is the only reward I have right now is getting to preach it every couple of weeks when it fits. <laughs> and that's all right with me, I suppose. But what about labors that are complained about? I don't want to be out here evangelizing. I don't want to have to sweep the parking lot. I don't want to have to come to church and pray. This is stupid. Do you think he remembers that? You better hope he doesn't. I think maybe he forgets them for our sake. He probably says, let's, let's just you and I forget about what you did last week. Because if you want to keep pushing it, I'll remember and you won't be happy. Well, Lord, I wasn't happy back then. Yep, nothing makes you happy. (laughs) 
Does he forget these, the labors that aren't love? Love for Christian service is what turns our necessary works into good works. There is a certain level of work, not for salvation. We, we have that clarified. Dr. Barclay says we don't work to get saved. We work because we are saved. There's a certain level of works that are necessary, but if you can get your heart right in them, they'll become good works. There is such thing as dead works. Works are still just works, but when you love them and you have a joyful heart, they become good works. They can become labors that God remembers. A love for serving is what keeps our good works from becoming dead works. We all work for Jesus, but how much of it will he remember? These Hebrew believers had the testimony that they had, past tense, had ministered to the saints, and they still currently did. Their past was not better than their future. Our past, uh, or excuse me, our future is all dependent upon the quality of our heart, our heart condition, our attitude. You know, do we get our feelings hurt? Do we get our feelings hurt at labors of love? Are we, are we put out when we're asked to do something for Jesus? Can you, can you believe Christians getting offended at the King of Kings and Lord of Lords asking them to do something? I, you know, I don't like our president at all, but if the White House were to call me up and ask me to do something for the president, as long as it wasn't sinful, rebellious, or in line with his administration, I would do it. I would be honored to say I, I was able to do something for the president. Now, if he wants me to come and stand with him, I'm not going to do that. But if he asked me if I could bring him a Bible study, or I, I would do that. If he asked me to come vacuum the White House, I'd go vacuum the White House. That's for the president. That's the White House. And I kind of like vacuuming, as long as I could bring my Dyson. <laughs> they probably still run Kirby's in the White House, you know. <laughs> Cold War era, run on little nuclear fusion power plants that the CIA developed in the 50s, left over from the Bay of Pigs. Revelation 2, 2a, 3 through 5. Jesus speaking to the Ephesus church. I know your works, Ergon. I know your labor, Kopas. And I know your patience, your hupamune, your endurance. The same three we saw in 1 Thessalonians. The same three that are referenced in 1 Corinthians 13. And you hast borne, that means to carry a burden. And you hast patience, constancy. And for my name's sake, hast labored, kopiea which is, the, of course, the past tense of, of kopas. And hast not fainted. But notice the labor is past tense. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because you have left your first love. He didn't say you're still laboring. He said, I know that you have labored. And what's the big sin of the Ephesian church? They lost their first love. The Lord Jesus threatened. I shouldn't say threatened. The Lord doesn't make threats. He makes promises. He promised to remove their church and shut it down spiritually if they didn't return to their first love, their first love, which produced such strong labor for the kingdom. He said that you have labored, but something I have against you, you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you art fallen, your first love, and repent and do the first works. Notice works are critical. You don't get saved just to sit and warm a chair. No matter how old you are, how little you don't know, there's still a labor for you to do. You can be a blind shut-in at the nursing home and do a great labor for the kingdom, praying constantly. We've gone to the prison. Last time I got to preach up in the prison, I told those men, there's no reason you guys can't be the most spiritually mature people in the whole region, spiritually air traffic controlling this whole region from your prison cell just through prayer alone. 
There's no reason the Lord Jesus Christ wouldn't walk into your prison cell and tell you what to pray for and how to stop judges from doing things and to help preachers do things and to help Islamic terrorism to be stopped just from this prison yard right here, just because they're bound. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, there's a labor to be had in Christ. If you love the Lord giving you an assignment, love not your lives even unto death. Love not your lives even unto more football. Love not your lives even unto more you time. Love not, see, we're not even talking about death. Maybe death to self. <laughs> or else I will come unto you quickly and I will remove your candlestick out of his place except you repent. Repent from drying up your love is what he says and repent from dropping the labor and pick both of them back up. Now you can pick up more works, but until you get the labor, the, the works won't continue. Excuse me, until you get the love, the works won't continue. The second I stop loving something, I quit doing it. Right? And the second you, your love is done with a spouse, you get divorced. Or at least you start thinking about it. The second you stop loving your kids, you, you ignore them. The second you stop loving a hobby, you ignore it. The second you stop loving the organ ducks, you get born again. <laughs> That's good preaching right there. You can only have so many idols in your life, Sarah. <laughs> this Ephesian church was clean, holy, spiritually discerning, doctrinally sound, fearless, burden-bearing, hard-working, toiling, and inexhaustible, but they had lost their love for the work of the gospel. Look, that's some good characteristics. And yet the Lord said that doesn't make it, it's not, you're not good enough. You lost love. That's the needful ingredient. Not hippie love. We know that. We're not talking about, you know, hug a bunny, save a tree, you know, reduce your carbon footprint. Love for the kingdom, not love for the God of this world. They had all, this was, a, this was Paul's most mature church, and yet over this whole love issue, they were going to be shut down. The Lord was going to evict them. This, this loss of love endangered their very spiritual existence. They were serving Jesus without a servant's heart. And you and I, we can master that if we're not careful. It's called dead works and religiosity. The Pharisees mastered serving God without a servant's heart. And they were the ones Jesus Christ stomped on every time he went to preach. And they are the ones that rallied the people to kill him. Amen. Their remedy was repentance. Look at Revelation 3, 1c, 2, 3a, and 4a. I know your works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Notice your reputation is always a little bit behind the times. Jesus says you're dead, but you still got a little bit of a reputation that you're alive. Likewise, if you want to change your reputation, it takes a little bit of time. Paul repented. His reputation took a couple years to follow after. So don't get mad if people still look at you with old eyes. Blame yourself that they had old eyes to look at you with. I like uh, There was a Church of Christ billboard a couple years ago in Gainesboro Great. It said, you don't lose your reputation, you just change it. Because you always have a reputation. And you can change it, good or bad. Be watchful and strengthen. That means to make your mind stable. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect, mature, they're half empty. Your works are not perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. The Sardis church was coasting on their past reputation. You and I can do that, but it's not wise. 
They were still known for their past fervor, but God saw that their hearts had cooled off toward his work. And again, folks, that's why we have to keep our relationship with Jesus Christ new every morning. And we have to command our heart, love God. We have to call ourselves hungrier for God and thirstier for God. I've taught you, and if you haven't heard it, hear it this morning. The best way to fire up the love of God in your heart, Romans 5 says the love of God is shed abroad there, is to begin to pray. When you pray, you activate the love of God. When you pray for yourself, you activate the love of God. You pray for your wife or your husband, you activate the love of God. You pray for the person you hate, you activate the love of God. It is impossible to hate something you pray for. Now, you can hate something and pray against it, like the enemy or the devil or, you know, a corrupt political system, sure. But when you're praying for something, it's hard to hate it because the love of God just starts pouring out of you. If you hate, and the, of course, our subject this morning is, is the labor of love that the Lord's called us to. If you hate serving God, begin to pray for yourself and begin to pray for a heart that loves serving God. You and I got born again because somebody loved the labor. And we owe the kingdom and the world nothing less. Amen. The few remaining works they did have were done half-heartedly. We don't, want to, we don't want our testimony to be, we serve God half-heartedly. Their remedy was repentance. This was to be repentance from dead works and not just going through the motions. We, we've all gone through the motions. There's even been a couple services in my years of pastoring where I said, I don't want to go. I don't care. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And those two ding-dongs in my church that I can't stand are going to be there and then I have to say, well, somebody's got to preach to them this morning. Somebody's got to love the ding-dongs. And, and what about everybody's not a ding-dong? How about I go to church for the non-ding-dongs? And maybe I'll pray the ding-dongs either get born again, repent, or just don't come to church this morning. And between waking up, harumphing, I have to find love again. And I've never skipped church on a whim. Skipped church for conferences and never skipped for sickness either. Never skip for any reason. I don't, this feels is a hard week. It's a long day. Around people all day. It's called ministry. Suck it up and deal with it. That's <laughs> what we're called to do. Now, isn't it, thank, aren't you thankful pastors don't serve you like you serve pastors? <laughs> aren't you glad our church attendance isn't like some Christian's church attendance? If I have a rough day, I'm just not coming tonight. Amen. Indicators of a loveless labor. We got about six minutes here. There are several indicators of a loveless labor. So we're going to use these as a checklist. You guys know I like these. I like checklists. And most of them are internal. You can judge yourself using the following list of indicators. Here's how you determine if you've lost your love for the work the Lord's given you. Complaining about more work. Love rejoices at the opportunity to serve. I, I like the old cartoon it's like the Woody Woodpecker cartoon and you had that, maybe it's uh, Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes and you had that dog, the bulldog and then you had the little screppy and he's like, come on Spot, come on Spot, can we go do something? Can we go, can, can we do something? Let's go do, and he'd smack him and say, ah, shut up. <laughs> we ought to be the little scrappy puppy who just can't wait to do something more for God. Instead, we turned out like the bulldog that looks at God and says, ah, shut up, God. Afraid God might ask you to do more. Perfect love casts out fear. If God asks you to do more, it's promotion. We have to see more labor as promotion from God. 
He wants to give you more because he trusts you more. Many Christians are actually against their own promotion. Kingdom is spelled ministry. Ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. Promotion in the kingdom is spelled more W-O-R-K. It doesn't, I don't, what do you think ministry is? When Paul was promoted, his territory got bigger. The number of preachers under him got bigger. The number of churches under him got bigger. And the more death threats got bigger. Promotion. I think we want a bigger name by staying at home. It doesn't work that way. Another symptom, fighting for and justifying more downtime. Love desires to do more. Justifying why you can't. That's an indication of a lost labor of love. Love looks for the possibility. Always making excuses. I'm sorry, honey, I can't come home tonight. I, 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 um, if I was just honest, I don't want to. I don't love you. If you can see every excuse given against God is really you saying, I don't love you, God. Not like I should today. I mean, I love you a little bit. Like, you know, a two-year-old loves their parents. That's not mature love. There's some love there. Excuses indicate a loss of love for the kingdom. Love looks for excuses to do more. Excuses cannot be overcome. They must be repented of. Amen. Doing things half-heartedly is indicative of a lost love. Love does all things with all of its heart. Cringing at the assignment. Really? Yeah. Now, love embraces the assignment as another opportunity to serve the kingdom of heaven. This week... I, uh, one of the things the Lord spoke to me several months ago was that come Christmas time, I was to buy uh, baskets of goodies for all of our neighbors and take them and deliver them in person and invite them to a Christmas Eve service. I have not wanted to do that for weeks. And this week, it's silly as it is, it's just where I'm at. I woke up Tuesday morning and I said, I don't want to do this. I mean, so, some of you would love to, I'll do it for you, Pastor. But it was my assignment. And I looked at my wife and I said, I don't want to go deliver these stupid baskets to these people. That's dumb. That's just my heart. But I know to be vocal with God. I, I don't know why I don't like that kind of stuff. I just, I just don't. And no, I, some of my wife said, I'll do it. I, she said, me and Ginger can do it. I said, no, this is my assignment. I have a word from the Lord. I have to do this. And so you know what? I was cringing at the assignment. And yet I, I, did, it, I did it without complaining to the Lord in a way that says I'm looking for a way out like a lot of Christians do. Because I knew I had no choice. But coming out of this side of it, I really enjoyed my time. And now I have a bunch of friends. When you and, and they, I mean, I, I got to meet the lawyer next door. And I got to meet the business owners next door. And got to cut up with people. And one of the guys came around and followed me every other place I went. He just wanted to talk with me. <laughs> all right, yeah, all right. All right. All right. Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> all right. But I've learned by now, the Lord doesn't care what you want. He just expects obedience. And so I would do it again, and I would learn to love it. I would learn to love it. I would learn to love it. And he has the, the, the knack of asking you to do things you don't like, just to get brat out of you. Amen. Don't you, aren't you glad he loves you that way? Amen. Love embraces the opportunity. See, I didn't, I don't know. I knew it was kingdom work. I'm going in there. In fact, I didn't even tell everybody I was the pastor. 
I don't know why. I just I'm from the local, I'm from the church next door. I don't I didn't tell anybody I was the pastor. But the law firm said, Are you the pastor? I am the pastor. It's the only ones I told. Well then the, the shoe store knows who I am and we're we're friends with them. But love sees it as another opportunity to serve and build the kingdom. You and I gotta stop thinking we're Americans and that we have a right to pick and choose what we're not gonna do. That's selfish. All right. A desire to do less, that shows you got no love. Love looks to do more. Forgetfulness concerning a task. Love doesn't forget. You don't forget your anniversary, do you? Well, sometimes maybe. I don't know. Women don't forget. I forget Valentine's. I don't know why. uh, Because I'm in trouble and I'm a man. Neglect of an assignment. Love doesn't neglect. Apathy. This is the ever-powerful, meh. Love is not apathetic. Disinterest. Love is not disinterested. These are all symptoms that you've lost your labor of love for the kingdom. Indicators of a labor-filled love, or excuse me, a love-filled labor. Uh, a great sense of joy and excitement to serve. You just can't wait to get a thing done. Joy in your heart to serve is what makes you a servant. All of it builds the kingdom, and you're just excited to be a part of what God's doing. When there's a great sense of honor at being asked, that's indicative. You've got to labor that it's provoked, provoked by love. You're just thankful to be saved, much less that you would be asked to help. Chomping at the bit to do more. You got that one task done, you're, when's the next thing? When are we going evangelizing again? Can we clean something else? Does something else need to be polished around here? Well, can we go on another mission trip? Can I carry bags again? It's making me stronger for the kingdom. You're not looking to hurry up and go home all the time. Amen. An eager anticipation for the next assignment. What's the next project, pastor? What's the next project, department leader? What's the next, what's the next missionary trip? When's the next prayer meeting? Can we pray five times a week? This three ain't cutting it. A faith like Caleb and Joshua. Let us go up at once, for we are well able. Faith works by love. When you love it, you say, let's go up at once. What are we waiting for? Sometimes love is so zealous, you have to use a little bit of wisdom to dial it back just for safety. Excellence is evident. When you have a labor of love, everything you do is excellent. Because you, you just love it. You, you want to do the very best you're capable of. Excellence to your fullest knowledge and ability. And then your zeal is contagious and it provokes others to good works. We might even say better works. Let me, here's a good way to judge. Is your Christian walk provoking others to serve God more? Or are, are people, people who don't even know you serve? Is your Christian walk, is your Christian labor lifestyle provoking others? Do others get convicted looking at you? Or are you convicted by looking at others? If you're convicted by looking at others, you're not where you need to be. Amen. Other thoughts. It's possible to be saved and not love Jesus. Did you know that? Salvation does not require love. It just requires faith in the gospel. How many children really love Jesus? They don't get it. They just call on the name of Jesus. They have an innocent childlike love, but they don't love him like in the the fullness. Amen. It is possible to serve God and not love him. That's what the Lord convicted me of. Love and joy in the believer's heart to labor for God is what makes them a servant. Love and joy is what makes you a servant. If you don't have love and joy in your heart towards the work, you're not a servant. You're an employee. Servants are not picky about their job assignments or their endeavors. Amen. They just, just tell what, what to do next. It all pays the same in heaven. It's all a crown of gold. Whether I'm sweeping, vacuuming, preaching, or casting out a devil. 
It's all the same. Laborers control their work hours. Servants wait upon the Lord. I should say employees. Servants stick around till the job is done and God is happy. When you have a servant's heart, you feel useless unless you're doing something for the kingdom. Love revives dead works and makes them good works. And there's a huge difference between good works and labors of love. Most Christians do only good works. Very few Christians actually have labors of love. The labor of love is you totally quit and walk away because it's so hard on your life and your family if it were not for the love you have for Jesus Christ. Amen. May we guard our hearts and return to our first love and do our first works for Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we do thank you for this lesson. May we all find that first love again where we're just thankful to be born again, thankful to be on our way to heaven, and thankful that you called us out. May we be honored in our heart to do every assignment you give us, and may we be looking for more promotion in the form of work to build your kingdom. Bless the listeners, bless the hearers. May we also be doers. In Jesus' name, amen.